Hey guys, welcome to another Opcast. You wouldn't believe it. I'm in Hawaii on the North Shore and the coolest thing is I'm in Jack Johnson's studio right now and I'm about to interview him, would you believe? Um, so let's check it out. Hey guys, welcome to another Opcast. Well, I am in my element right now. Uh, I'm on the North Shore of Hawaii and I've got a man that has some amazing talents and it's Jack Johnson. Yeah, Jack, good enough. to see you again. Th you. Thank you to, um, for being on the Opcast. We can finally talk. We can finally talk now because yeah, <laughs> we're, we're mic'd up. But I, did, I haven't seen you for ages, but I did see you riding your, um, your kid to school yeah. the other day. Uh, that was fun. And I was like, hey, Jack, I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> but cool. yeah, I haven't hung out with you for ages. Maybe I remember you were playing in Europe, but that was years ago. Yeah, you remember yeah. that? Yeah, you remember that? I remember that too. That was fun. It was, it was uh, you, Robbie Page, uh, I think Elko might have even been there. Yeah. It was like a lot of guys. There was like some kind of event. There was like a lot of guys got yeah. together again. We did. We yeah. I think it, it might have been a Masters event or something. Martin Potter was there. Potter there was, was there. like all my heroes were all in yeah. one spot, and yeah. I had to perform. I remember being so nervous because you guys were there, <laughs> and just thinking like, "Oh, this is really awkward." I yeah, think it was the other way up. around. No, <laughs> um, it was funny, Jack. I woke up this morning and um, uh, like I'm a dinosaur, right? I've never sent an email in my life. <laughs> really? No. And oh, um, cheers to that. yeah, <laughs> and I've never like Googled anyone. So, but lately, because I've got a new baby. I um I Google Baba Black Sheep, oh, right? Nice. So I woke up this morning and I'm like, hang on, I'm gonna Google Jack Johnson. And I was like, went on my phone, I Googled it and you came straight up and I'm like, no way! You're <laughs> the first person I've ever Googled. Oh, no way. Yeah. High five. <laughs> High five to that. And, <laughs> and so I put on like one of my favorite songs, Upside Down. And um, then I went surfing and I've had it in my head all morning. Oh, nice. But um, you can sing underwater. Me. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it was fun. Mark Cunningham was with me on okay. that shoot. Yeah. And we were, um, it was tricky. There was a couple things we had to do because the first couple takes, it, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think it's like trick photography or something because we stay down for like almost a whole verse. But you know me, it's like, I mean, as surfers, you were kind of competitive and stuff. And Mark Cunningham was there and um, who's like an uncle and probably most people know who that is, but he's an amazing best body surfer in the world. And he, I grew up next door to him. And so anyways, he was with me and he was like, come on, that's the longest you could stay down there, you know? And I'd be like, okay, okay, hang on. <laughs> and I'd be like hyperventilating before, like almost like what you do before you're gonna go free dive. Yeah. Right before every take, I'd be like, okay, just trying to get like my body oxygenated and I would just go, and I'd go down and then like I'd get down there and then I would start singing and then I would start floating back up to the top and they're like, oh, this isn't working either. So we had to start doing like, I was wearing all kinds of weird, like the same kind of lead belt you would if you're scuba diving. I had to hide it like in my jeans and stuff and we started like putting rocks on the guitar and like all this stuff so it would hold me down longer. And yeah, we'd go down and just do like as long as we could until I'd be like totally out of breath and then I'd be like jamming to the top yeah. and try to get up there. Because, you'd, was, because you'd, you're, taught, you're singing so you... Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Was, yeah, just exactly. So I was letting all the air out. Air so out. then I was trying to, it's funny you see that because I remember trying to kind of like not let as much air out so I was just kind of going like, like trying to lip sync it but not actually sing any air out. So I could stay longer. Yeah. But that was, yeah, it was a fun shoot. That was cool. And um, you were born and raised on the North Shore. Yeah. And you've got, like, like I said earlier, a man of many talents. Like, because you're, you're like, 
a professional surfer when you were younger, you I competed. Can only, I can only do like two things in two like things. A surfing, surfing strum guitar. <laughs> and guitar and, and, and directing films. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun little era. I got to mm. do that for a while. We made Thicker Than Water and September Sessions. Yeah. Got to do a bunch of fun surf trips for those. It was really, I was kind of, when I look back at everything I've done so far, those were kind of the funnest years of my life, you mm. know, uh, just to get to go to like Indonesia and like all the spots that a lot of us get to go to, but then also a couple places like Ireland and spots that I'd never dreamed I'd get to go to in my life or as a kid, never thought of as a surf destination. And it was cool working with the Malloy brothers on that yeah. project. They had a lot of ideas on spots getting away from the typical spots, you know, mm. so we went to some pretty cool places on that trip. That was fun. Yeah. So born and raised on the North Shore, your dad, Jeff Johnson, was a legend surfer. Yeah, yeah, he was, I mean, you know, in a whole different way back then. It was yeah. like there wasn't really a pro scene or anything nah, when he was growing up. So. Like no leg ropes and everything back yeah, in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Surfing huge sunset, Waimea. Cook cords, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he started using one, but I remember Peter Cole Sr. Yeah, he to, never did. To the end, he'd just still call them cook cords. Yeah. And I was like, you don't need those things. I know, like I've seen him, he can swim for miles. Yeah, yeah, he's a great swimmer. He loses swimmer. his board at sunset. He has a good theory, it's like the, it gets more crowded and you do get more kooks in the water if everybody has their leg rope right there. It's like, allows you to be out in big surf that not everybody will be able to handle, like there's no kook cords, you know? Yeah. And I use one. But. <laughs> I do too, but I've gone through phases where I don't like using one, but that, that'd be excellent in Hawaii, it really work. Yeah. It'd work on the Gold Coast too, less crowded. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. How about a, up. you use a traction pad or you don't use it? Uh, no, no. You never did, huh? No, I never did. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I remember Dan Malloy telling me a story about being with you on a trip and that you you put one on and you caught like a wave and then you came in and you were trying to get it off and it was like sticking to your board and you were just like peeling the whole thing off. And you were saying, <laughs> I couldn't feel my board anymore. Yeah. Just couldn't feel the board. No, I had it once and then yeah, I didn't like it because I, I think my I surf my foot I don't ever put my foot on it, uh -huh. so I was like, why? Well, yeah. yeah, they can throw me off too, because every time, like, if I do look down at the, my feet as I'm kicking out or something, mm -hmm. my foot is usually right in front of it. Like, I tend to surf a little further forward on my board or something, you know? And yeah. So then I think, like, why well, don't I even have that thing on there? But I don't know. I tend yeah. to just throw them on. Yeah. Tell us about growing up on the North Shore. Like, yeah. back in the day, it was like, it was a much kind of different place. I mean, Everything's still the same, but yeah. like um, it was kind of—I mean, for me being a Howley coming over here surfing, it was kind of heavy back yeah. when we first came. But yeah, you were born sure. and raised here, so yeah, born and raised. It was an amazing place to be. It was—you um, know—you don't know until you look back. I mean, it was just home for me, and it was mm. all the things I was used to. And then now having traveled a little bit and knowing, like, being able to see it from the outside too, it's a really special place. It's amazing. Yeah. It's. Um, what a place to get to grow up with the waves and the, the, all the hills around here to hike and mountain bike and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, every, everywhere, wherever you grew up, I mean, that's your home and this is where I would come home to. I, I started leaving to go to college and I'd come back and mm -hmm. every time I'd leave and come back in, I would just sort of um, start to be a little more aware of the, you know, How that special. amazing opportunity it yeah. was. And, um, and so now, like, getting to raise kids here, it's really cool. It, it is changed a lot. It's a lot more crowded. There's like a lot of things that people can get cynical about. You know what I mean? The traffic is really bad now. And yeah. there's, um, but everywhere in the world changes, you know, and mm. like these really desirable places to be. As far as that goes, it's still a really beautiful place. And there's still like a lot to be really grateful for. Mm. You know, there's been, um, there's been a lot of people, Blake McElhaney and Doug Cole, a couple of good friends that have organized this North Shore Community Land Trust to try to start 
not only being defensive about every time a development's coming in, because there's all you know, there's been a lot of pressure for development, like up on the bluffs Around, up here, on, yeah, on the north back shore. in the day, and you know, with just expansions of Turtle Bay or uh, whatever it might be. There's always some new thing coming up, and a lot He's of times, stop it. Yeah, a lot of times it's been defense, and then the yeah. cool thing is there's been some friends that um, that have grown up on the North Shore that I mentioned, Doug and Blake, and a lot of other people, but you know, they kind of have helped to run that uh, that organization. And so now it's cool because it's it's a little more proactive. It's like, okay, here's some land. Like, could we preserve that? All the all the bluffs up here uh, with the state and federal money and even military and just a lot of cooperation. All that land was preserved, you know, up there uh, from a lot of hard work of being proactive instead of just defensive. And um, so I think when you look at it like that, you know, it's like when I've just been involved enough or like heard of what's happening. Um, to know that we're pretty lucky that it's still this way and not, That's you know, great. just it's totally. It's so cool. It's so up. cool because it's the same as when I came when I was yeah. 15 years old. Yeah, like it is an amazing much. place. Yeah, it's, it's and, great. Uh, that's it's great work. But yeah, I love growing up here. It was, I mean, like you said, there was, there was a lot of heavies in the water. They were kind of all my uncles though. At the same time, you know, yeah. it's like guys that would look out for you as a kid. Um, I knew them all, so that I always felt comfortable in the water. I never felt threatened or no. scared. Um, and you know, there was a certain element back then that um, they would keep, there was a little more respect in the water, I think, you know, and... and um, back then? Yeah, yeah for was, sure. Yeah, you know, that's kind of gone, which is a bit sad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't want to say I want to see people getting thumpings and stuff no. in the water, but mm. at the same time, there was kind of people defending what they felt was theirs and being taken advantage of when, when kind of like the circus would come through town yeah. and people felt like they could just come in and own it. And um, yep. so anyway, it was interesting. Yeah, it was, um, but it's been, yeah, a great experience to grow up around here. Yeah, Love especially it. you've been around the world and like this is one of my favorite top, like two probably favorite places. Yeah. So you've been around the world with your music and this is... Yeah, it's a nice place so to come home to. Nice place to come to home to, it's, all right. It's fun though. I can remember like as a kid growing up, mm. uh, not to, not to uh, make your head too big or anything, <laughs> but like, you, you know, you and Tom Curran, like when we were kids, yeah. I just remember, not saying you were, like a god, but like some kind of deity to us, you know what I mean? Like you were something that we really, they got the magic, you know, it was you guys would come through town and it was a strange place to be where you could actually, all of a sudden you'd see you guys in person, you know, like at Cammy's Market or something, yeah, right. or like, I don't know, just like walking down the beach or at Foodland or wherever, it was like, whoa, there he is, I can't believe it. And it was yeah. kind of a cool thing though, like to, uh, like in that sort of punk rock way of kill your idols, it's sort yeah. of like it was neat to just be able to talk to some, I remember talking to Tom Curran one time, mm. Uh, and walking away and be like, wow, he's kind of just a normal guy, you know? <laughs> and it was, instead of like completely like putting something in this idol category, it was sort of like being able to uh, put a person to that, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I just remember like me and me and my friend Tamayo Perry, literally, because he's goofy foot yep. and I'm regular. Yep. So no offense, but I used to pretend like I was Tom Curran <laughs> yeah, and he'd pretend and he, like he yeah, was Rocky, you know? To the point <laughs> where his hands, he started like putting his, I, sorry <laughs> Tamayo, but he would like put his hands exactly like your hands yeah. and stuff, you know? And I would be doing like the, bring the back knee in and trying to do my Tom Curran impersonation <laughs> and we'd go surf like Monster Mush and just yeah. like try to be you guys, you know? I think uh, Tamaya told me that story once. <laughs> That's classic. Because yeah. I remember you when you were really a young kid, hey, and like, because your brother, how's your brother Pete yeah. and, and yeah, Trent? They're yeah, like they're builders, right? Are they still? Uh, well, Trent, Trent Trent's is, yeah. Trent's the builder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Petey's done different jobs over the years. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're both good? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're awesome. And, um, yeah, I remember meeting you when we were real little. as a friend named Leif Erickson. Yeah. I can remember uh, Leif and I were together and a couple other friends. 
and that was the first time I ever saw. We were at Shores, like down at Sunset. Showbreaks, yeah. And we were like playing around there and like with our boogie boards in the shore break or something. And you just come That's in from Sunset, you know, yeah. from like the outside where we hadn't ventured out that far yet. Yeah. Because I like, used to stay with Buddy McRae. Yeah, the that's one right. That's right, in that little yeah. zone. In that little zone. I remember all your kids surfing. Yeah. That's where you learned to surf at yeah. Shore Breaks, hey? Yeah, we used to have like, we'd have like our boards. We'd have like Billabong, Quicksilver, uh, World Jungle, <laughs> just like as many sponsors as we could put mm -hmm. on our, it, you guys would like give us stickers and stuff and we'd just like have our boards just like covered with like every different one. We didn't really understand the deal that you could only have one, you know? Yeah. we just like put them all. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about, you know, like, because you were right, in, you know, not right into contests, but you competed um, here in the Triple Crown when you were younger, before you got, I mean, you, I'll get into music later, but um, you made the Pipeline Master Final one year. Yeah, the trials, yeah. The trials, trials for the finals. The yeah. trials for yeah. the finals. I wish. Yeah. And how big uh, was it that year? That was big. Was I mean, big. It, it was good size that year. Um, I will say, without trying to sound overly, like, humble about mm. it, that I was pretty average. I mean, I was, you know, grew up and I could surf good enough, but, like, I just happened to live right a pipe and mm. I would surf it every day. Mm. It was like me and my friends would surf it to a fault. Like if it, we kind of started just surfing pipe once we were like, I don't know, 15 or so, 14, mm -hmm. 15, we would sit on the shoulder and started easing our way in. And then kind of once you feel like you've got your position in the lineup at pipe, you don't want to lose it. You know, it's, yeah. pipe's a funny thing. It's like, it's kind of as much fun as we were having. And I can think back to all the great times. It's stressful a little bit too, you know? It's like, there's a lot of energy right in this little spot. And it's like, if you really want to get barreled, you're taking off a little. It's like, you can almost draw like a little five foot zone and that's where you're going to get barreled going right or left. And it's like, everybody's right there. And when a wave comes in and the thing's just going and you're in the spot, but you're just like a guy here and you're pretty sure he's not going, but you're not positive and you've got to commit, you know? And like all those little things that are going through your mm -hmm. mind, like surfing it. And once you get your place, you don't really want to lose that spot in the lineup. I can remember just like, we'd surf it every day. Yeah. And so, I mean, we were getting barreled a lot, but we were eating crap a lot too, you know yeah. what I mean? And like, just like pushing it. And um, so I got invited to the trials, yeah. but I wouldn't say it was based off of like being more talented than anybody. It was just the fact that I was like Always surfing it every day yeah. and whoever was making those choices and voting on it would see that these are the kids that were out there every day. You know, there was like me and Sean Briley and mm. my friend Josh Lenau mm -hmm. and uh, Adam Lerner, Abe Lerner, yep. uh, Seth McKinney was like a lot of those guys uh, all surfing it together. So anyways, yeah, I got the invite and yep. I got to be in that contest. And I, a um, couple of years I was in the trials yep. and uh, one year was just, I mean, probably all of my favorite surf memories, at least for like, you know, those kind of memories are from that one year where yeah. I got to surf one heat with Jerry Lopez. Wow. I mean, it was during that time that Jerry was, you still know, in the trial still. Too. And like, so we, I remember him, we were sitting on the beach and he told me beforehand, he could tell I was probably really nervous. He was good friends with my dad and stuff. And he mm -hmm. was like, he's like, hey, I'm not going to be going right at all. He's like, let's split some peaks out there because he yeah. just wanted lefts, you yeah. know. And I was like, oh, killer, I'll just sit next to Jerry. Nobody's going to be hassling him. <laughs> and so I made a heat just by split Doing going that. right with, on ones Jerry was going left on. And then there was another heat where it was, um, well, I think it was the, it was maybe the semis. I came up against Marvin Foster. Wow. And, uh, well, not against him, but with him. And we were out there together. But there was this moment where uh, I needed like a small score. It was kind of like that day was kind of windy or whatever. And, and, um, and all of a sudden, Marvin was on the, on the outside of me. I was going to go left and he was on the shoulder more. And he looked over, he's like, Jack, I got it, I got it. And he was going to go. And I knew, I was like, Sorry, Marvin, I just went, you know? Yeah. And then uh, I was so scared, but I was so small. I was like, yeah, I was 17 at the time, just scrawny kids. So, like, what did he say? After the beach, he came up, he was like, nah, he's like, right on, Jack. He like, shook my hand, you know, like, he was like kind of laughing because yeah. he was like trying to kind of like scare me. Yeah. 
just to not go on the wave, but then, but then on that. the beach, he just laughed and yeah. gave me a big pat and said, yeah. congratulations, because I got the little score I needed yeah. and passed them up. And then um, <laughs> the final was like... It was in there. It was epic. It was, um, so let's see, it was Larry Rios, mm -hmm. uh, Liam McNamara, <laughs> uh, Michael Ho, no way. Johnny Boy Gomes, <laughs> myself. Six-man final. Yeah. It was a six-man final. I'm forgetting one. Oh, and Aaron Gerberk. Oh, so wow. it was Aaron Gerberk, Larry Rios, Liam McNamara, Michael Ho, Johnny Boy Gomes, and me. Yeah, six, I guess. And I ended up, there was some hassling going on. There was, um, I feel like Liam and Johnny Boy, like somehow, like tried to go left and right, and there was something happened, and there was a lot of tension in the water after that, and I ended up just kind of like moving down to almost off the wall. So, like, just trying to get my own waves down there. And so, I think I, got, I think I got sixth probably in the final. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't make it, I know that. It was all too much. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, like, that's a pack out there. Yeah, that's that was a pretty intense pack. That is an was, intense um, pack. But it was fun. It was such a yeah. yeah, such a great memory to be part of that. And you had a bad accident at Pipeline. Yeah, and that was like a week after that, I think. Was it? That's how I remember. It was at least within the same month because it was December, and um, bad wipeout. It was. It was just what I needed, probably. Really, well, you were getting a bit of, cocky yeah, kind of I thing. Don't, I mean, or I don't know. It's like in my own head, you're I was pushing it. Just starting to think. Yeah, pushing it a little bit. All that, you know, like mm. probably getting a little cocky and yep. uh, taking off on too many closeouts mm. and starting to feel a little invincible. Mm. There's like something I read in National Geographic where we haven't really developed what's this frontal lobe part uh, yeah. at that age yet, you know, it's been to start coming to your 20s or something like that. So when we were 18, we were like 17, yeah. 16, 17, 18, uh, not even me, like mostly my friends, but I was included of just like, you sometimes would be paddling for a wave and there was something about that peer pressure of all your friends around and you're not you're really gonna go on that and you just be like yeah and you just go over this ledge be pulling up into like a big right that you knew you weren't gonna mm. make and it was just like you could see the reef but you've been through it so many times and you know little scrapes and mm -hmm. a few mm. you know i've got a lot of stitches over the years a lot of grazes and you come through it and it's like little battle wounds or whatever and so you start feeling a little invincible mm. and uh but anyways this one yeah ended up going left and then kelly was out uh, and so it was right before dark. And I remember, you know, we've kind of told the story a few times, but he was Kelly like, and Mikey stopped pushing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd have fun. And like, there's the thing too, is like, I, I remember like not really wanting that story to get out. Cause like he did, he told me, he's like, you won't go on this wave. Right. Oh, yeah. But the thing was, is like, we've said that to each other a hundred times in our life, you know, on like all kinds of fun little sandbar days where it was like a double up, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it was just something we'd say almost every time somebody was paddling, partly it was like, to give somebody the extra confidence they needed. Like, cause you know, like we were saying, like pipe was like, you kind of have to go under the lip on mm. certain days. It's like, it's things not gonna break on the second reef. Those days where it comes in, it's like, you can't get into it until it's like already, I mean, you know more than mm. anybody, it's like pretty heavy takeoff. And so sometimes it's like telling your friend, like you won't go when you know they're already going. It's just like, yeah, well, and it kind of like gets them just like that on much more over the yeah. ledge, you know? And so anyways, like when he told me that I made the drop, and it wasn't like it was a, it wasn't a dumb wave. It was just another wave. It was a backdoor wave. It was a left actually. Oh, was it? And it yeah, it was a left and the, the drop wasn't even that gnarly. And yeah. it was like, the waves weren't even that big. It was probably six feet okay. pipe and it was real shallow. And it was right at dark and I went left and I made the drop, pulled up in the barrel, just going for a while. And it was like one of those ones you've done a million times where you travel as far as you can. And then right when you feel like, okay, I know I'm not gonna make it out of here. You dive forward and you kind of want to hit that spot where you don't, go too far down to get with the lip and you don't want to go too high up so you get pulled back over you get that perfect spot you know what I mean where you we we're kind of talking about it earlier it's like that mm, sunset yeah, kick out almost 
where you go through. And yeah. I just felt like I did the right thing. I'd done a million times and it was like, I just remember not even feeling water. I jumped forward to body surf kind of, and then it just, was, poof, just went right into a coral head, I guess, or a rock, you know. And, um, that probably got those big anvils. Yeah, things. so it was one of those, you know, yeah. he's kind of got the, and uh, so I just went right into oh. one, yeah. And I remember it just kind of like knocked me to the point where I had a little bit of senses to know. I remember just thinking like, well, you just hurt yourself really yeah. bad. Yeah. But still being awake and then, but not being able to swim, just kind of drifting for a minute and thinking, okay, I'll swim in a minute, just like, Get your energy back and then like okay so you, you were there you i was there and i kept thinking but i couldn't move i was just like underwater drifting for i don't know if it was a two-wave hold down or if it was just a one i just remember like the only thing i remember is like i kind of tried to take a breath eventually and then i it, that's what woke me up is yeah. like i swallowed water and i was like choking and i got to the top and i kind of threw i was throwing up and i, right, I remember getting to the surface and a wave hitting me right as it came up so i'm not sure if that was like the second one or if that was the first one but whatever it was, by then I was kind of like, the current had pulled me, like when a real west swell, you know, it kind of like pulls you right in by the beach the there. Beach, and I was yeah. lucky because by the time I was kind of getting my senses again, I just got on my board. I was like feeling up here, my finger kind of went in my head oh. and then I felt my lip dangling. And I was like, uh oh, no teeth there. And I like, was right by the no beach. No one was with you just yet? You no, got I was to like, the beach it yourself. was pretty dark, you know, it was like right and dark. Wow. We stayed out a little longer and a couple of friends were stopped, but they were out there at the lineup still, so they didn't yeah. see what happened by the time yeah. I came up. And then just ran up the beach, um, and oh. that was it. Yeah, that just, was it? Yeah. Straight to Kahuka Hospital? Yeah, or? we went to Wahiwa, I think. We went to Wahiwa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget where we ended up. We went to town, the Townway, not the Kahuku. Yeah. Um, and you just got stitched up, and that was it, pretty much? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I got lucky. There was a guy, I remember him telling me as he stitched me up, he's like, yeah, lucky I'm a like a plastic surgeon doctor. Oh, and wow. so he's like, I'm going to put lots of these little ones in instead yeah. of the chunky ones. And it was like, so he put like a lot between all of them. Isn't um, that Scott? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. it's just like yeah. a little. And, um, it's a heavy one. Well, actually, you know, it's funny. I started getting this little unicorn thing about like, what do you call that when it starts like a scar starts growing up? There's like a word for it. But the, uh, that thing started being this big bump. And yeah. so like, Right before I went off to college, I remember like um, the, the, the doctor, when he came by, I had to come for a checkup and he was like, he's like, we can cut that thing off. So he like numbed it back up and he took a razor blade and cut off like all the... And it was gone. Yeah, so I guess yeah, like so technically I've had plastic surgery. <laughs> technically. <laughs> the guy sliced this little... Uh, and that didn't turn yeah. you off surfing big, big waves? I think it, no, not, well it did, yeah. yeah. I think it did. I think really? it, it, I don't know if I, I think when I pull in backside, I always had like a little thing of just uh, holding back a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. like on a, for a long time. And then I still yeah, love yeah. surfing like waves where it's like big Haleiwa, yeah. big sunset. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't really ever have the desire to go like chasing like outer oh, reefs oh, and outer stuff. Reefs, yeah. yeah, I surfed Wyoming a few times after yeah, that. Okay. There was like the whole social thing of like with your friends. Going out that one I, Yeah, yeah. And I don't even big mean day, it in a negative thing of like pushing too hard, but like just that fun thing of like, you've worked so hard without realizing you're working to surf knee high waves mm -hmm. and then like head high waves. And slowly you get comfortable and you can look at a spot like a big day at sunset, you know, and without, without even being conscious of it, you're realizing where the currents are going mm -hmm. and where you should jump in the water to avoid those currents. And, and so you, know, it, you know the little safe zones yeah, that you can you know what I mean? when you won't get cleaned up. Yeah, those little things. <laughs> yeah. And just like uh, when you do lose your board, it's almost like a fun challenge. I remember like a couple mm -hmm. times like breaking my leash and my board out at sunset and kind of having that little rush of like, whoa, I got to swim in now on like a real big day, you know, and current, if you get in the wrong spot, it just mm -hmm. sucks straight out towards camis, you know, mm -hmm. like that. And anyways, like there's something about that I think is kind of like a... 
it's cool. rite of passage a little bit of yeah. like growing up around big waves enough to feel comfortable in big water. I don't even mean like trying to push yourself past your limit, but just being able to be out in big surf, it feels kind of, it's like a nice feeling, you know. It's like, such a good feeling. I love being it? out in like, yeah. in like a high energy ocean, but I don't like going out like when I kind of know like that's, that's beyond like my you comfort zone. Yeah, no, I've got that too. I remember back in the day, I remember the billabong was a move to um, Waimea Bay one time, mm -hmm. it was mobile. And none of us had, oh, I had a board because I had an Al Chapman board, but um, but a few guys on tour didn't have boards and it right. was like kind of the end of their career because, you know, they had to make the decision. I've yeah, never sure. surfed one man before. Yeah, I yeah. had surfed it a couple of times, but that day was big. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, Hawaii is such a radical place for me. There's so much swell here. And then we had, you know, like with um, a couple of different friends passing away, surfing big waves. Yeah, like that Todd was the Todd, and I was gonna say like more than anybody, Todd Chesser for all of us. He was older than me and I was like really good friends with a lot of his really good friends. I knew Todd pretty well. Uh, we both love Metallica. Like my memories of Todd is like a couple of times being in the car with him and like pounding Metallica, Ride the Lightning, uh, Kill Em All, like those records, you know? And like I knew him pretty well, but he was a lot older than me, so. It was a wake up call for everyone well, when yeah, that when happened? he passed away, I mean, it was, a, it was a big effect on all of our friend group for sure. And um, especially the friends that were like really close you to him. Kelly, Shane Dorian. Yeah, all those guys, you know, they were really close. And even like Kelly and Shane are all a couple years older than me. Mm. And then Todd was a little older. So for me, like seeing somebody like that, who I knew if anybody was comfortable in the ocean and capable of being out in big surf, it was him. And then like, that was a real wake up call too, I think for everybody. Mm. Then somebody that, that ready for the situation could still, you know, yeah. pass away. It's like that invincibility I was talking about, you know, yeah. it's like all of a sudden it was just kind of like, okay, we're not yeah. invincible. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to, wow, your music, Jack. Um, like a lot of surfers play good music, but you're definitely next level. Like, um, it's crazy. Like, when did you start playing music? 14 years old. Uh, I can remember uh, we all started kind of strumming around the same time. Donovan Frankenrider was like cra crashing in my back house. Mm -hmm. uh, we had this little kind of like spot over the garage. And so we started learning guitar around the same time. Mm -hmm. Kelly was learning to play around the same time. Uh, we had this one uncle named Pef, Pef Ike, that started kind of showing us all our basic chords, you know, mm -hmm. guitar and teaching us some folk songs like uh, uh, Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Uh, Mother Mother Ocean or Pirate Looks of 40 by uh, Jimmy Buffett. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of those kind of songs. And we were all learning those. And then I had another friend, Cale Tilly, who uh, grew up out here. And he was a couple months ahead of me on guitar. And so like when we would sit together, he would show me like uh, Purple Haze or like kind of more rock stuff, you know, and he had an electric guitar. And that was really cool. Uh, and eventually I got an electric guitar. We kind of yeah. like try to crank our amps up and mm -hmm. get those distorted tones and stuff. And so I was kind of like learning, my, my friend Kale was teaching me how to play like a little more of the rock stuff. And my, my dad's friend Pef was teaching us all the chords. Uh, but so, yeah, I'd never dreamed it would be like something that wow. I would eventually do, you know? It's like, when was it? I mean, like when, when did you start playing in front of the audiences and when did it just go? I mean, after your first album, it yeah. went, your first album went through the roof, right? And then- Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. I didn't expect that at all. Mm. It was. I mean, it's funny when it's yourself and you're there for every little half-empty club and you're there for every, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like, interview that goes super awkward that you're like, pretty sure I just blew the whole deal there, or like, whatever. <laughs> it's like, it seems like a long time, you know, but it, I think, looking back, it was all kind of a little, it was at least always kind of going uphill. I didn't have to go through little, I think if I would have had to go through too many things that were like, 
little downhills. I wasn't ambitious enough about it that I would have stuck with it. Just stuck with it. You know what I mean? Like, I I just didn't dream it could even happen. I didn't have the confidence that, like, this is what I belong here on earth to do or something like that. I didn't have any of those kind of things. It was like, I was always pretty insecure about my voice and uh, even my ability is like, again, like, I play guitar good enough to write songs over it, but I'm not like a shredder or anything. Like, you know, it's like I got decent rhythm, but the guys in my band make me sound good, you know? uh, (laughs) But I think. I didn't realize it was actually happening until really? well after it was. I think wow. even I had like a defense mechanism. My mom was always good about that, about like, I don't know the exact word to say. Humbling you down Yeah, but just like don't count your chickens before they hatch yeah, kind of thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, she was always good. She just would, I think she'd always be worried about us getting heartbroken about something, you know. And so she would always just be like, well, you know, don't get too excited about it yet. And so I think I had that going for me. Where like in a like, little maybe superstitious way, like this isn't really happening, yeah, but it is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I can remember actually, it's, it's funny because going into Australia mm-hmm. on the airplane for um, this Byron Bay Blues and Roots Festival, uh, the first time I got to play that was with um, opening for Ben Harper. I'd mm-hmm. been on tour with Ben Harper. And I think that whole, that gig, I got that gig opening for Ben Harper out of being, uh, becoming friends with him and being lucky because he was like a surfer, skater who dug, or I'm sorry, a musician who kind of like dug surfing and skating. He's a really good skateboarder and was like, had surfed some and he was kind of into our scene and then I was a huge fan of his music Mm. and we had a chance to meet, became friends and so he like come out and tour with me well before I was ready to tour like or anything like I barely played a couple of show gigs, uh, little club gigs and uh, I remember I'd been sitting down on like a stool mostly because I'd played kind of coffee houses and like mm-hmm. little bars. And then I was like, wow, I'm going to go like do a real tour. I got to learn how to stand up. So I had to get like a strap for my guitar and start like practicing, playing my gig standing up, you know. And uh, so I did that tour with him. And it's still, I just kept thinking back in my mind like, wow, I get to tell the kids about this someday. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to go back to making surf movies after the summer. And then when we, when we went to Australia, there was something that happened where I was on the airplane. And every time I'd been to Australia before for surf movies, we'd gone a bunch to make different films over the years. And I'd even been hired by Taylor Steele to go shoot for some of his and stuff. And so every time I'd go in, I'd always write student, even though we were going to make films because it was so low budget. On immigration card. Yeah. I'd always write student (laughs) because it was like the whole deal was like, we didn't want to have to pay any kind of like taxes for like coming to make a movie. Uh, We were just so low budget. We weren't going to make money on these things anyways. We were just like, Mm. you know. So anyways, I would write student every time. And I remember like it was time to do it. And I was like, oh, this is like a legitimate gig where like people are gonna be able to see that I'm like playing a festival, I better tell the truth. And I was like, started to write the M and then just sort of like, am I really, I guess I'm writing musician, like this is my occupation. Yeah, right. And it was like, for some reason that really stuck with me, like writing it down and like seeing it and being like, <laughs> I guess I'm claiming it, you know, yeah. I'm a musician now. And that gig, and then when we went and played the gig, it was the most people we'd ever played in front of and they gave us a really good slot, got really lucky yeah. uh, right before Ben. Somebody else had dropped out of the show and it was like for some circumstance, like we got to play right before Ben Harper. We should have been like first ones on the show, you know, kind oh. of thing. we were real small. Mm. And the crowd just being like a lot of surfers and- They loved it. Australia in general has been yeah. so supportive, but they yeah. were like, they made me feel like I was closing the show when I played, you know, and just like gives me goosebumps thinking yeah, about I'm it. I'm getting them too. Like, Cause I think I was there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. It was fun. That's so, so cool. And so that was kind of like the moment that yeah. I realized it. But it had been, like, if I think, if I was being realistic, we had been getting really good reactions from the audiences, opening for Ben all summer. And I hadn't gone back out to do my own shows yet, but 
seeing it now, like I realize it's hard opening. Like opening gig is really tough. Is it? My yeah. friend's got a funny song about it called like opening for Steinbeck, and it's <laughs> the whole thing is like it's the only it's the only art form where like you have the idea of an opener. Is it? You know, it's like to get to play before somebody else. Like everybody's coming to see this other guy, yeah, right. or this other girl, or whatever. So and it's yeah, like, under and, the light, and right you get there. to play to this audience that's coming for them. And if you, it's kind of like the gladiator deal. It's like you're in or you're out. Like how do you do? They're gonna thumbs love up you, or, thumbs down, or they're not. And so anyway, we got lucky because we yeah. went back out and like a lot of those crowds came back out to support us. But um, so yeah, that's yeah. kind of how it started happening. And uh, how many blues festivals have you done? I don't know. Good You've done question. a few, like. Quite a few because there's been a lot that I haven't been on the bill that we just cruise down to that and area and I jump up with, yeah. uh, with a different band yeah, you and did. sit in. So maybe 10 times or yeah, something. Yeah, 10 times. Because uh, so we did, we did the Byron Bay Blues and Roots Festival and then uh, so the, I'd kind of been opening for Ben Harper and all these bigger venues and it was fun just because you'd have these huge crowds and everything and for me it was just like going from like zero to 60. And then we went back out and like had to, do, you know, do a lot of these promoters that had had us out had said, hey, you could probably come fill up whatever the smallest room in town is, like come back out on your own. So we started playing all these little clubs around the United States and um, a lot of them were half full, you know, mm. sometimes sometimes they'd fill up and you'd mm. feel like a legend and it was just like really fun, you know, the whole thing, just driving around. The same guys that are my band now, we used to take turns driving and just be in a little van. And then we got to go down to Australia and do our first tour down there and I can remember doing this club up at the Gold Coast and I had played, you were probably at this gig. Um, yeah, probably was. Because I was, I remember playing, yeah. uh, you'll remember this part or not. Yeah. So I finished a set, you know, and like, when you're, when you're playing music and you finish your set, like, no matter how, what type of music, you know, you kind of want to go off with a bang. And so I can remember, like, boom, done, good night. And the show had been epic. It was like a big party, everybody's going nuts. And, uh, and so I'm like, good night. And like, right as I'm like, about to put the guitar down, all of a sudden I get tackled, boom, from the back, down to the ground. I'm on the ground, somebody's lying on top of me. And I look over. And it's Rabbit. It was Rabbit! <laughs> <laughs> and Rabbit's on top of me. And he's like, starts like whispering stuff in my ear. Like, he's like, mate, he's like, he's like, I remember this and that. And like, he started like, when you were a kid, and he's like, I can't believe you're here. It was all such sweet stuff, you know. It was just like about, about how proud he was of me and stuff. But he'd actually, you know, he probably had a few. Um, and after so, a few beers, that's exactly, and he, so huggy. And then so I was like, oh, all right, awesome. And then like, <laughs> I was trying to get up, but he like wouldn't let me up. And he just kept like, and me, and me like, <laughs> start going to the next thing. And then I started looking out at the crowd and they were all just like, standing there like watching. I had like all these people just watching me like, get a whole thing from oh, Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> he gets so like that Rabbit, he sort of starts going like this and hugging you yeah. and like slapping you really lightly, like epic. as in yeah. love. He's got so much. That's it was a epic. classic It's like one story. of my favorite memories from those early days yeah. for sure. That's a classic story. But what about like when the, like when you do play to a packed house, like um, how many, what would be the biggest crowd like? Tell yeah. me like 50, 80,000 or more. We had, we had one that was too big. We too did big. <laughs> How many? Well, for us, and especially at the time, it yeah. was Glastonbury, mm -hmm. and that's a big one. Supposedly, they say it's, like, uh, it's in England, okay. and it's like the biggest festival, and I think there was like 130,000 people. Whoa, it's like you couldn't see the end of them. Yeah. And this is funny because it was just the circumstances kind of killed us. So we, whoever booked the gig somehow didn't know who Ray Davies was, I feel like, because uh -huh. they put Ray Davies on before us. And so he's the singer from the Kinks, one of the singers from the Kinks, right? And so it wasn't like he was doing solo stuff he was playing all the kinks songs so we basically had to go on after the kinks in england and then that sucked already and the crowd was just like we watched his whole set because we're all fans and it was nuts like people were just losing and it was amazing so like then they, they break down you got like your 20 minutes before you got to go on mm -hmm. and just thinking this is horrible you know and then all of a sudden 
everybody had kind of cleared out and we're like, oh no, like everybody's bailing. But what happened is the World Cup was on. So everybody went over to this oh. one tent that had the Megatrons oh, going. Right. And they watched England lose out of the World Cup oh, no. during those 20 minutes. So then everybody like walked back over just like this. Oh, no. They've already seen the Kings, like they want to go home and then they watch England lose the World Cup. No pressure. And then like, welcome Jack Johnson, <laughs> you know, and like I got my little acoustic guitar and it's just like, da da da. And like, it was the hardest gig we ever played. Oh my um, goodness. I just, psychologically, I was just already crushed, you know, it's, it was rough. But um, so we that's played. Like, oh, that that's like, that's even worse than your wipeout, like far out. Yeah, way worse. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, um, like when it's cranking and you're yeah. like in front of a huge crowd, your adrenaline, what's more, did, would you get more adrenaline out of that or taking off on it and getting barrel, like pulling into a huge barrel or just Good similar? Question. Yeah, what's more? I don't know. I've never really thought about like, I mean, it's true. It's like, I think there's something that happens with your body when you're taking off under the lip and pulling up into it. And then when you get one that, you know, that moment where you feel like, oh, I'm too deep. And then you kind of do the little drift and mm. then it's like somehow this, it like spits and mm. it, you get back on it and then all mm. of a sudden you're, and you come out and then you get that tingly feeling all over, you know. And you just get that nonstop when you're playing. No, I was going to say that's, I think the surfing one is like definitely a quicker like woof. Yeah. And then for some reason, like with the live thing, it's a rush, but at the same time, it's like there's nerves involved too, because like everybody's watching, probably more like something you'd be able to feel from like a memory of like one of those big ones where like everybody's on the beach watching you yeah, and you're having yeah. to do the thing you do. And everybody's watching like i don't know like the op pro kind of mm. stuff when there was like those yeah. huge crowds all watching on yeah. the beach and it's um, but you're used to it because I, I like i think one day at the big day out it was um pearl jam and eddie was there and i got to meet him mick fanny knew him and i we talked and he's like i'm gonna get you guys on stage and i'm like are you serious <laughs> and like that's when i used to drink but i had a few beers and and then like he threw me a tambourine uh -huh. and it was like 60,000 people there yeah. and I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then he gave us a bottle of wine, I grabbed that. And I was like, I looked down and there was that many people. Yeah, My legs were like jelly. I yeah. was like, oh, it was oh, just yeah, too yeah, much. Yeah. No, but you, you, gotta, you gotta work up to it. I mean, yeah. for sure, you're right. Cause it's like, if I take a break, I mean, if I don't do a show for a month, like if I'm on tour, the first show throws me off okay. and then I kind of like get used to it again. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird thing to get used to, you know? It's like, I don't think it's that healthy to get too used to it. So usually like yeah, right. by the end of a tour, I'm ready to kind of just give it a long break and okay. take a year off or whatever. And then those first couple shows. You take you, breaks that long? Are you yeah, from, yeah, at least. From touring? Yeah, we've done like a couple of times, we've done like two or three years off, you yeah. know? Um, sometimes we'll do like a random show in the middle, like oh, okay. a, something like a farm aid or something like a really good mm. cause where they invite you up. We'll go play those. But as far as like tours, we kind of, you tend to make a record, put the record out and tour on that record for a year. Sometimes if things are going well, you go back and do a little extra. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the tours have gotten a little shorter over the years, yeah. like uh, probably in 2005. That was the time where our tours were the longest and everything was kind of cranky and we didn't really have kids yet. Like our, mm. our, just our first baby was born mm -hmm. and um, a lot easier without kids in school and all that kind of yeah. stuff, you know, and uh, just to keep going out and doing it. And anyway, but yeah, it's, um, the crowds, I mean, I think that partly I've been lucky almost that somehow, I don't want to sound like it doesn't move me, it definitely does, but somehow I feel about the same when I go on stage and when I come off stage. Um, somehow it doesn't affect my energy level too much. Like, okay. I feel lucky for that because I think yeah. in the same way that anything can be addicting, it's like that attention can be addicting. Mm -hmm. And um, the guy who plays piano in my band, Zach, he's like one of my best friends in life. and. It's funny, we usually will joke when we come home and we've been home for like a week, you know, like we'll send each other texts and like be like, it's weird for some reason, like 
everything I say, people aren't clapping and laughing about it, you know, or like cheering for everything I say. I can't figure it out. The yeah. joke, because it's like, I think it's something that a lot of entertainers do experience is like a depression. Really? When you have so much attention coming yeah. towards you all the time. And then suddenly to be home and alone and all those quiet moments, you know, and then like, it's, it's real. You got to be careful because like, everything you say, people will cheer for. You can say the dumbest things on stage yeah. and people are like, yeah, woo, killer, you're, you're epic, you know, legend. And it's just like, so you can kind of get this point where like you start feeling like everything you say is so witty. You know what I mean? And it's not, it's just like you say the same stuff at home to your wife and she might be like, yeah, yeah. that's cool. You know, and it's yeah. like, that's the reality of what you're really yeah. saying. And so it's, I've been lucky to have like, same crew, same band since I was playing. <clears throat> Those same clubs where <clears throat> Rabbit might have tackled me, you know? Yeah. Same, same guys are all yeah. around me still. So it's oh, like, cool. they have the right to tell me like, well, you suck tonight or whatever if they want. And it's mm. like, I don't have a bunch of yes people around me. Yeah. So that helps too, but it's... Um, yeah, well, Jack, let's talk about touring life because there's only one thing that upsets me and I, I don't know many musicians, but I always ask them, I mean, like you showed me your, your tapes there yeah. that you know when you were first recording and because they're they've gone now and now that like the music and the all the technology like people can get your music without paying for it i mean right how how do you feel about that and do you have to tour to make money on I'm, I'm sure on your first album you would have made heaps but is it like that now that you can't make much money in selling and you have to tour more how is it yeah it's a tricky it, it's a tricky time i mean it's yeah. uh, like you said i was lucky to be around during a time where it was still cds yeah uh, you know, on the first bunch of records, mm -hmm. and then it's it's changed. I kind of it's an interesting one for me because. Do you like it? Does it upset you that people can just? No, it doesn't. It's like it's. Because now always, more people can get it. I'm kind of careful to say it because like I yeah. don't mean to take it lightly for like a band just trying to make it now. I don't really know all the things they're up against because a different time if like you're first trying to do it, and people aren't buying your records. But then there's also all this technology where you can get your music out more, like you're pointing out. So it's like. There's a lot of pros and cons mm -hmm. to it all, you know, and I just know that for me early on, like one of the technologies that really helped me was CDs were just becoming burnable. You know, like you could actually wow. like put a CD in, find some website and be like, I want that. And it would come on here. You wouldn't have to buy it anymore. That's when it started. And it's when it started, you know, and so, um, but that helped me because I swear, I can't tell you, we had really bad distribution in the very beginning. We had, um, we'd made a record, we we're touring with Ben Harper and my CDs weren't anywhere in the stores. Um, like I'd go, we'd go walk into a store and some of the independent record stores where the, the person working in there like was a music fan and was doing the ordering, they would actually like order them and they might have them or might not, but like all the mainstream stuff like Tower and different things like that, Tower Records or, you know, they're selling records at Walmart and stuff like that for the first time. None of those places would have my music because yeah. we had like real small distribution. Mm -hmm. So I had so many kids coming up to me after the show and be like, hey, will you sign this? I would totally buy it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And it was like a burnt CD that would just have my name on it. But mm. it was like, oh, no way. and I would always sign them, you know, because yeah. a lot of times they'd be like, I'm not sure if it's okay, because I got it for free. And I'd be like, I'm stoked. And I would just sign the thing. And like, so I had people come into the shows because they could get my music for free. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I have mixed feelings yeah. about it. It's like, I never want to kind of um, talk about it lightly, because I know for some musicians, it's hard to make a living because people aren't buying music. So I don't uh, take that for granted that it's, yeah. it's different for everybody. But in my situation, I found that like being able to have free access to music, if people were coming and seeing us live, I was stoked they got my music for free then too, you know, they were supporting us in some way to keep doing it. And um, so I've just always tried to roll with the technological changes, yeah. you know, as they've come and uh, just, it's a natural thing. You can't really like go back in time and change the way it is. No, so. no. But I do, I do miss that. 
that thing of like having that. I used to be like go to the Hungry Ear Records and Wahoo. Like the vinyl records. Yeah, well, vinyl. I was kind of get, I was more like the CD yeah, and even cassette era. during my era. Yeah. But I love vinyl now. Mm. Like now, it's, and that's kind of cool. I mean, that's really coming back. The one thing, mm. like the physical thing, is growing is vinyl. Yeah. And you know, I got I have this one was just looking yeah. at earlier, like this Rainbow Bridge here, and like mm. I love getting the artwork, especially ones you can open up and it's got the lyrics yeah. and stuff. So like for me, most of the time around my house, I'm putting on a record, you know and listening but I also love to be able to be out and like be able to put music on in the car and stuff and have all that too so I mean that yeah. part's cool as well or be able to like Spotify yeah be yeah. able to make a friend a playlist and like send it or whatever yeah. like sharing music that way there's like a lot of mm. pros to that you know what do you like I was that's my next question is like I'll start with the Aussie bands like um Who's your favorite kind of Australian music uh, all the stuff you used to surf to like Huda Gurus yeah. and stuff I used to like I would put that stuff on just to get hyped up before surfing because yeah. it was like so connected to the movies. Yeah. And, um, and I really, I mean, it's a big part of, of how when I used to surf, I remember like literally, like I was saying before, like trying to be like you guys when we'd surf. Mm. I'd have those songs in my head because it'd make me feel more like I was in the movie or whatever. I could, I could feel like you guys. And, you know, it's like you felt like you just, in the reality, you probably barely changed direction, you know, yeah. but it was like the song would be in my <laughs> mind. And, um, I love that. Yeah. The Untouchables. Like I remember yeah. when you did that one. I forget what movie it was in, but it was like one of the first airs I'd ever seen, mm. where your tail comes out, whoosh, yeah. and you do yeah. this one afterwards. Yeah. What movie right. is that? Blazing Boards. Blazing Boards. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. That was the biggest air I think I've. Oh, yeah. like, I've never done an air like that. It was a fluke. <laughs> it was a fluke. That was but epic. like, do you always have um, something? Like when I surf, I've always got a song in my head. Like I played yeah. upside down this morning. I've had it in my head all morning. But you always have. Yeah, music I used to, in your head. And I do tried you, it, yeah. And would you think of a, a riff, or can you think of a song that, um, or just something comes to you in the yeah, surf, and it then does. you come, come back to the studio like where we're yeah. at and, and put it into. For the sure, song I think happens. connected back to that, like exercise and having music be so connected through the Jack McCoy films and like all mm. the films I grew up on. Um, I think that having that habit of having a song in my head, you know, mm. it's really been helpful for the songwriting. Like a lot of times, I'll be in here, and you keep driving and thinking, I just want to finish. I need one more line for the song. And you, it's like trying too hard in here. And like when I finally go, okay, I just need to take a break. And I go for a surf. Because it's then, so quiet out there. Yeah. No, no one ever gets to experience that. It's so quiet. Oh, I love just it. got the ocean and, and stuff just comes yeah. in. Hey? It totally does. And, it's, and I'll have the groove in my mind from like listening to it over and over in here. So that'll be the groove when I'm surfing then. And a lot of times, I think like 50% of the time, I'll come in and I'll finally have that line that I needed, you know. Or sometimes it'll spark like a new... I'll be in the water and it's kind of like how my memory works, you know, it's like when I learned something about new. before that you, you like when you're young, you, you don't use a lot of your mind. Have you seen that movie <laughs> Limitless when the guy takes the pill? No. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, you can use 100 yeah. percent of your mind. And yeah. It's a crazy movie. Hey? Yeah. There's something like that with surfing, though, I think, yeah. where it's like you're so focused on this and it's so much muscle memory at the same time that you don't have to do too much of your mind doesn't have to be used on the actual surfing. It's mm. kind of like it's all natural. Mm. And so it ends up like some part of your mind is able to start thinking about other stuff and I'll usually have like a, a line or two when I come in. It's kind of how my mind works. I'm always trying to remember things through rhyme. A lot of it just dumb stuff like 90% of the time yeah. like remembering a phone number and I'll put it into a rhyme. Yeah. And then so and yes. even Kelly Slater, he, used to, he like, used to mix words around in the surf all the time he was telling me. Uh -huh. And um, you got so much time to think about stuff. Yeah. Music. Yeah. Yeah, it's so connected that way. It's I mean, connected. But yeah, as far as other bands, I mean, I love yeah, uh, bands now, Tame Impala as far as Australian Tame bands. Impala. We saw them in Israel. 
They're epic. I, I love think you so love much. them, yeah. That's a band that me and my, my, my kids listen to a lot too, because they're uh -huh. all in the music. And my yeah. oldest is 14, really into guitar. And so like all those guitar tones and like certain bands, like I love listening to how they get tones, like the, yeah. the different keyboards and amps and stuff they're using. And that's one of the bands like, He's such a um, audiophile that 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 guy, um, the whole band, but the, mm. the guy who does most of the recording, and so the one who sings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. he has so many cool effects. Mm. I love that stuff. Um, yeah, so that and one. And what I'm, about um, that's all new? And what about old? Jimi Hendrix was like the one that's yeah. kind of stuck with me my whole life. There's a lot of bands I listened to when I was 15, 16 that I still really respect and I'll put on for like nostalgia sometimes, but like I don't listen to it all the time like a lot of the punk stuff I used to be in a punk cover band in high school oh, really and I love like that energy and everything yeah. you know but I don't tend to put that stuff on anymore mm. as much uh, whereas like Hendrix is one I love the energy of like that raw guitar when I was young and the, the rock element you know kind of give you that same feeling of like punk music just that the rock and then my whole life I've listened to Hendrix like I'll still put on his whole albums you know around the house and stuff and there's something about like even like little, um, these hammer-ons he'd do between the chords is something, like a lot of people wouldn't think of my music with Hendrix probably because it's not doing the, the big lead guitar stuff, but he does lots of these little, uh, these hammer-ons and, and connecting bits between that I really picked up on, mm -hmm. you know. And so I love all that stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. We'll, go, we'll change it up and um, ask you a few like short, shorter kind of questions. Um, have you ever been on the Ellen DeGeneres show? Yeah. You have? Yeah. So, so twice, cool. I think twice. maybe once, once yeah. or twice. She's epic. She's epic. Yeah, I love her. I, I, oh, I've got to Google. I'm going to Google that now. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I got to talk with. I mean, Did you talk or play? I played, yeah. and then we talked backstage. Yeah. I feel. Okay. I feel like I was on the show talking because we talked a bunch backstage. She's one of those really nice ones who comes back and like spends time with you beforehand, mm -hmm. and you know that whole deal. So I got to hang out with her quite a bit. She's like the sweetest woman in the world. She is. Uh, yeah. Why, why do you ask that? Are you a fan? I don't know. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And like, I just missed that. But I'm going to Google it now yeah, that I know it. how to Google. Check it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, I know I've known you for a long time, but I'm kind of fanning out right now. But um, when have you uh, fanned out the most with a musician that you've met? Oh, well, I've, I'm like more of a music fan than a musician. Really? As you can see, because like when you came in, there was yeah. all those posters out there. Mm. And over the years, like any time I've gotten to be on a festival bill with like Neil Young wow. or Willie Nelson, like those kind of names that are the stuff. Oh, tell I, us about Willie. Willie's the best. Oh, yeah. Willie? He's, well, but I put all these posters up all yeah. in there, right? And then my brother Trent walked in, you like this one because you know Trent, but he yeah. comes in and he's like, looks around and he was like, oh, this is cool. You got a little shrine to yourself in here, huh? <laughs> Basically all these posters with my name on them, but like I'm putting them up because I got Neil Young right there and I got Willie. Yeah. So it is, it's like brag, you know, like, yeah, I got to mm. play with these guys. I got the ping pong table there, so when I'm playing my friends at ping pong and I need to kind of like get the upper edge psychologically, I can just kind of be like, oh yeah, that was that time that I um, hung out with Radiohead right there, you know, and then like 18, 19, try to get them. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I think Willie, Willie's probably the kindest out of wow. any, out of any of those kind of like names that you hear about and you're like, I hope he's as sweet as he is as a person through mm. his songwriting. Because that's what I'm always interested in, is like when you meet somebody, are they, are they true to what they wrote about in their songs, you know? And I've felt like most of my heroes are, like I've been yeah. lucky to meet them and been really impressed with them as people. But Willie, out of all of them, Willie Nelson is like the sweetest human. He just really just sits there with you and he's got listens. The time. He's got the time and you just don't feel like he's like in any hurry or anything. He's really sweet. And um, yeah, I've got to hang out with him a few times. And um, 
Yeah, I wrote a song about him actually called Willie Got Me Stone and Took All My Money one time. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. About <laughs> uh, after a show over on Maui. Yeah. And he's pretty legendary for his poker. Would you like to play poker? I yeah, was going to say yeah, poker. I don't know how to play that good either. Yeah. You know, I like barely know the rules to regular <laughs> poker. Yeah. And then I showed up, and they had all these strange games that I'd never heard of, where they kind of like changed slight rules, and I was trying to keep it all straight. And I had borrowed some money because you know it's like I'm not like a big gambler or nothing. But <laughs> my dad happened to be at the show, and uh, I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go play poker with Willie Nelson right now. You got any money I can borrow?" <laughs> and my dad had a little money, so like he gave me, and I lost all his money. Oh, classic! <laughs> That's all time I love poker. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because you know Australia's got that. We actually don't play like I learned in America, but in Australia we like to gamble. Like right, you right. know, we have the horse racing. It's yeah, huge, yeah, yeah. and we bet on the football and everything. Right. So, the big question is, did you create the game of Café con Leche? Yes and no. <laughs> so, I learned that game. Tell while us what it is. We were traveling to Spain. Uh, we have some, like, some family over there, their Calabash family. They took us in um, the first time my wife and I ever went, like before the music stuff or anything. And we were camping in this little van, traveling around Europe. We just saved up all the money over the summer. We were traveling around. We just stayed until we were broke. And this family took us in in Barcelona and um, the Estevilles, and it was a beautiful time, and they taught us this card game. And when we left, we forgot the name, so we started calling it Café con Leche. Uh, just because we would, that's what you had, if you wanted coffee with milk, Café con Leche, mm -hmm. that's what you'd order. And we played a lot at like old uh, coffee shops and stuff mm -hmm. with friends uh, while we were still traveling. And so then I showed it to my nephew Kona and my niece Jacqueline, and then I think John John might have learned it from Kona. Okay. I don't know if it's evolved. I haven't actually played it with John John yet, but um, I know they're into it. And then, like, supposedly he he started. Uh, he claimed at one time that he was playing Cafe con Leche or whatever. And so now it's funny because the name has become Cafe con Leche for this game. I think you know, at least for any surf groms that are learning it. And I think he had said like, try to you know look for the rules on the internet. But I don't think there was any, <laughs> at least back then, because yeah. we were calling it the wrong name. So I don't even know what the real game is called. Okay. But yes, I will take credit for bringing that game <laughs> from Barcelona back to Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I know you're obviously really good friends with Kelly Slater. Have you, got, have you been to his wave pool? Yeah, I went to the first iteration. So You did? He claims it's gotten a lot better since I surfed it. Oh, okay, yeah. they've, fixed, they've, modded, like, they've modified yeah, it all. Yeah, I think it was like yeah, one of the first times when it was like when they... I got to go in one of the first little groups besides him that had surfed it. You know, mm -hmm. he kind of finally said, okay, other people can come. And, me and Ross Williams mm -hmm. went over, and um, it was fun. Yeah. You got barreled. I got barreled, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you feel like you're barreled. The thing goes so fast. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> and then you look back at the footage. And yeah, I was like, well, you could see me the whole time. I felt like <laughs> I was barreled all the way across. And all, all I wanted to do was get barreled. So like, I tried doing a turn, and on this early version, it was kind of tricky. You'd do a turn, and then it was like really hollow, so you'd have to like step on your tail every time oh, to yeah. come back down. You know? yeah. It just barreled all the way across. I remember Akila Ipa. Same thing, like the first wave I watched him, he just took off, put his arm in a wave, and just got barreled for the whole wave. Never tried to come out of it or do a turn, you know, and I was doing the same thing. I was just like, once you're in that little tube, I just want to stay in the barrel all day. Mm. Well, so, uh, we're, I'm, I'm with the company that's made a wave pool. Oh, really? Next right. time you're in Australia, you're invited. Yeah. Is that left? It's, um, yeah, cool. we've got four different waves all oh, wow. at once because wow. the big so central um, thing making oh, the crazy. wave. So wow. yeah, we've got, a, they're all peaks. Yeah. Wow. Left and rights. How is it? It's pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. it's called Surf Lakes, yeah. and um, we we trialed it. It's just a demo one, the first one, 
but we got it to like about half the size was about that big uh -huh. and then we had a little bit of a problem but yeah. they're fixing it yeah and once we get it to full size it'll be like as big as the roof oh, crazy mm. so yeah all right i'll come get barreled come get barreled have you got a um have you got a good kelly story off the top of your head you don't have to but no yeah i mean uh, let me think for a second um well, let me think about it for a minute. I'll come back to yeah, that. Try to get one. What's your favorite wave in the world? I know you've been to a lot of places. Yeah. Is it here in Hawaii? Yeah. You don't sure. have to mention secret spots. Yeah, that's the funny <laughs> part is I don't want to, I'm trying to think of like any wave I'd want to say is my favorite because I don't can't want anybody else to come. <laughs> no, I love the North Shore. I mean, I yeah. grew up, it's funny because growing up here, you tend to surf in front of your house, you know? And so like I've moved since then, but when I was from zero to 12 years old, I lived right by uh, Eukai Beach Park right there. Mm -hmm. So like my zone, I wasn't surfing pipes, so we went from like gums over to gas chambers. And I would mm -hmm. like hardly surf anything besides that zone. So there's, that's still kind of like my, it just feels like home to me when I'm surfing that little zone right now. It's, um, there's like so many fun little peaks that happen different times of the year when the sandbars change around and they tend to come back. Some years like a certain spot won't hit, you know, but then there's, there's cool little like double up sandbars that'll happen, different spots. and. So I love waiting for those, even weird little ones that my brother and I, uh, both my brothers, we, we have this one little spot that happens is way inside. And it's funny because whenever it happens, it's got like a strong current going against it and you have to sit in the current and then just take off on this weird double up whitewash and then it reforms, you know, and, it, mm. and then it goes. And it's only like this big, but the way the water's coming, it's almost like you're surfing on a river. And those same days, usually it's pretty decent outside, but we're surfing this little groggly little <laughs> reef farm inside because it's so fun, you know, and people trip. Like nobody surfs people it because like, what there's doing? like three guys surfing there and then everybody else is on the outside, which <laughs> is like okay out there, but like they don't realize the funnest spot is this little double up thing. <laughs> so I love that little zone. That's kind of my, yeah. that's what I grew up on. Yeah. And uh, your best surf trip that you've ever been on? Yeah, for sure. I'd say um, when we made the movie September Sessions, mm -hmm. Luke Egan and Brad Gerlach, uh, Rob Machado, Shane Dorian, and Kelly. Where'd you guys go? I feel like I'm, I don't think I'm leaving anybody out, but it was, uh, we went down to uh, the Mental Wise and yep. it was Lance's right and like. Boat, boat trip? Boat trip, yep. yeah. Um, it was like an early one, you know, the mm. boat wasn't very fancy and it was just such a fun time, be with all those guys. And for me, that was like one of the first times I'd been, I'd made thicker than water at that point yep. and we'd been to a lot of great spots and we pieced together lots of different trips to make one movie in Thicker Than Water. September sessions, it was just Kelly pulling his weight and saying, hey, um, I'll go on this trip if I can bring my friend Jack to come film. Um, and so we didn't really have a plan yet. I was just gonna come down and film, catch some footage. And then we kind of pictured probably that you would use that as part of a movie, but the waves were so good. When we got back, we were like, you know, we could just make a short little movie out of this one trip, you know? And so we really scored on that trip and I got to surf a lot. It was like, I'd be in the channel filming, 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 and then they all go in for lunch and then I would just have like a, some kind of protein bar in my pocket or a granola bar and I would just eat that and surf. And then I would see them all start waxing their boards again. And then I'd go in and load my camera, it was all 16 millimeter. And I would go load things again and get everything ready and then I would film again for a few hours. So those were like crazy days where I would just be in the sun all, I literally lost my whole forehead. You know, I got this big old four, five head here and me and Shane Dorian both, actually, it's funny, Shane got the same thing where we both, uh, just the whole thing peeled off, you know, those, when you just get so burnt. It was one of those trips for me. I came back with, like, just, like, the whole thing had peeled off. Yeah. 
How cool is 16mm? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, to totally, yeah. And it's so much better, it's still got that grain. It's so good. You miss a lot, but yeah. you miss a lot of stuff, but it's kind of the beauty of it is like, you like can't... you got to reload. Yeah, and you yeah. can't be filming everything. It's not like this this era now where you kind of feel like you can, you always have a phone and you can just film everything, you know, and it's like, you capture it all, and then you got all this editing after. It was kind of cool because every time you'd pull the trigger, I forget the number now, we kind of had to figure out like how much it was costing us for every 30 seconds we'd roll, you know, it was like, brrr, you could just like hear the dollar signs. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was a beautiful time because you kind of had to select what you wanted to have on camera and decide then. So a lot of the editing was done during the making, the, the filmmaking process, you know, or the filming process. Okay. And a couple of quick last ones. Do you, do you watch a WSL webcast? Yeah, whenever I can. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't all the time. Um, but it's because sometimes, especially it's like some part of the world, I'm not as hardcore as I used to. Like when John John first made the tour, oh, okay. I was actually like all of us, all of our group who kind of like I've seen John since he was literally a baby. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember, you know, him and my nephew have been really good friends since they were little. So I've seen John run around the yard in diapers uh, all the way up to when he started shredding and then like thinking like, oh, he's so good, so young. Like I feel bad, there's so much pressure on him and like being really worried for him as an uncle, you know, and just like when he, f I used to sometimes just give him random advice. Every time I see him in the water, like, hey, there's gonna be a lot of attention coming towards you. And I try to, I'd been dealing with it a little bit and I try to give him like a little tip and he was such a sweet kid. He always has been such a, you know, nice, humble human that he'd always like be like, oh, okay, thanks Uncle Jack and like, listen, but I could tell, I was like, probably doesn't want to hear all this from me. You know, I'd always be telling like too much. But anyways, like when he first got on a serious role, got on the serious role, and like when he was, you know, winning his first world title, like then I would kind of like wake up to watch a heat. It was like two in the morning because it was like, you know, he'd be somewhere else in the world, and we were all so excited for him. But now I'm not that hardcore anymore because yeah. John's already won a couple world titles. Yeah, he's old now, and so. But anyways, yeah, no, I, I try to watch when I can. It's it's really amazing to see like how far surfing has come and you know, what they're doing on the waves, gets you inspired. Same way watching you guys used to make me want to surf. Oh, it still does. <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, watching those old films, the blazing boards and stuff, it's like seeing, seeing some of that. It's wild how the, the creative, a lot of the creative surfing is in the contest now. You know, it used to be separate. Yeah. I feel like I used to watch, um, you'd watch the movies, and the contest is where guys would kind of go like, toof, 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 at Sandy Beach yeah. or something. You know, the waves weren't always in the best waves. And so now it's just interesting because like, yeah, those, the moves they're doing like during heats and stuff are kind of the creative stuff. So cool. Those guys are doing some crazy stuff yeah, right now. Yeah, really is. I love it, I watch everything. Yeah. But just before we end, can you tell us about your environmental work that you do? Because I know you've got a couple charities and do really good work here in Hawaii. Um, your foundation is called the Ohana Charitable Foundation, Kakua Hawaii Foundation. And yeah. Kakua, I think my friend, taught me a bit of Hawaiian. Is Kokua in Hawaiian mean help? Yeah, 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 basically help, Kokua. Yeah. Um, so tell us about those foundations and what do you do? Yeah, sure. Kokua Hawaii Foundation, we started around 2002, mm -hmm. right when we actually first moved here, when we kind of built this studio was when we were getting everything rolling. And um, the basic idea with that, every time when I come back to Hawaii and things had grown to the point where we realized we could actually, um, you know, play to a fair amount of people, we, just, we thought, kind of wanted to make a thing whenever I play in Hawaii, I want the money to go back to the community here. You know, I was really lucky to have a music career and it just didn't feel right. Like so many, when I look out at the audience, it's going to be mostly my friends or people I see from the surf and different stuff. I didn't want to be like taking that money. So I just realized like, let's just make a rule. Every time we play Hawaii, it's a benefit. So we started the Kokua Hawaii Foundation and 
the basic idea, it's, um, it's kind of uh, trying to create lifelong stewards amongst the kids. We work with schools, we have different programs. Uh, one is called like a farm to school program where we support like garden education, have field trips to farms, uh, bring in chefs so kids kind of see the whole process of where their food is grown and then uh, how much food we could be growing in Hawaii that we're not, you know, 90% of our food is shipped into Hawaii. Yeah. But we have so much great land, we could be growing a lot more, but because of the history here with sugarcane and pineapple, it's like kind of been a long road to getting to where more food is grown here for Hawaii. Turning the soil. Yeah, just, that's just one, one part of it is like yeah. basically trying to introduce kids to food at a real young age, like where their food comes from, from the land. And we also have like a plastic free program, um, which just sort of encourages kids to use less single use plastic. A uh, really cool wave down a pipeline right now at, around the Pipe Masters. Uh, this plastic free wave, it's all made out of plastic, but it's real beautiful. Plastic rope, plastic everything. It's kind of trying to, at first you kind of get pulled in from the beauty of it, and then you kind of get, you start to, through the conversation, kind of learn about all the plastic pollution that's coming on the east shores in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. We're like a filter out here in the Pacific Ocean. So those are some of the programs of Kuku Hawaii Foundation. Uh, we basically work with schools. And then um, the Johnson Ohana Foundation, we started a little a couple years later when we were traveling, just realizing that there was a lot of cool nonprofit groups around the world doing great work that we wanted to support while we were on tour. Felt like every town we stopped in, we wanted to make sure that after we leave that town, there's something good that kind of continues there after we left and realizing that we could especially our younger fans that are coming to the shows, introduce them to some of these nonprofit groups that need uh, people power, you know, they need volunteers to be going out for the river cleanups wherever we are in the world or whatever it might be, there's lots of different issues. Um, trying to connect those fans to those nonprofits so after we bail, they keep going. Yeah. It's been cool because there's, there's been more than one time where I've come back year after year and then like maybe 10 years after the first thing we did there, I've actually met people that are the executive directors now of a nonprofit that said I first got connected at your show and started volunteering and after like 10 years of being like one of their major volunteers started working for them and then now I'm like running the, the whole nonprofit you know so it's kind of neat to know that things like that could happen because of the music coming yeah. through town. That's sensational Jack. Um, do you do you tour with a surfboard? I try to. Depends on where we're going. Like sometimes I know I can borrow boards so easy and it's just like way less hassle. And that's actually most of the case. It's like I got a friend in town anywhere the waves are pretty good. If we need wetsuits or boards, we'll just gather them there. Uh, so that's, yeah. I mostly don't now because of that, but I used to. But in between gigs, you'll, sur you'll have yeah. a surf. Yeah, especially Australia. I yeah. mean, it's kind of the no-brainer because you're always on the coast. Yeah. Sometimes I'm traveling across the United States. There'll be some coastal shows and a lot of in the Midwest. So it's kind of a lot of like area to have your board kind of getting in the way. Every time you want to get the bikes out from under the bus, you got to get the board <laughs> out too, you know? So then I'll just leave it at home. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we try to surf whenever we can. Just like it's like a reset button for me whenever I get in the ocean. Yeah. Even just a body surf or whatever, it just feels like okay, feel like myself again. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions from a good friend of yours, and I won't say who it, who it is until after the questions and see if you can guess. All right. Um, who is Hody? Hody. H O D Y. Sorry. Hody. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, <laughs> who is Hody? That's me. Well, it's originally my dog. My mom named our dog Hody. No, it's originally me. Sorry, I'm older than my, my dog was. So it, <laughs> it was a funny thing because my middle name is Hody. I'm Jack Hody Johnson. Okay. And then my mom eventually named our dog Hody. I don't know, I guess she thought it was a good idea. I don't know why. But then it was weird because this is like when I was a teenager and a lot of people started questioning, like, wait, you named the dog after your son? You know, and then, <laughs> so then she changed the dog's name halfway through his life to Yodi. Um, and it was funny because like the dog was just so misbehaved because it never knew what its name was, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, so, so, um, so a few people call you Hody? Yeah, Hody. Uh, 
I get I get Horibo. Like a lot of times yeah. if I'm in the audience, I mean in the playing a show oh, and I'll hear like Hody Boo. Okay. Like a couple of my old friends call me Hody. My wife still calls me Hody. When okay. she first met me, she saw my driver's license and she was like, Hody is my middle name, so she's always called me Hody. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And uh, is it a good idea to check your radiator when your car's still hot? No. So I'm starting to get warmer who this might be. <laughs> it's not a good idea to check the radiator when your car's hot. But here's the deal, I was like, I was actually pretty good at it because I had this van that on that first trip to when we learned how to play the Cafe Con Leche game, we were driving this van and you'd, you'd have to refill the radiator all the time because I think it was, like, it was like had a leak or something. So like what I would do, sometimes like the thing would start getting so hot, I'd pull over, you'd let it cool down for a little while and then you have to like turn the lid and then hold it for a second while it goes like and it lets off all the steam for a little while and then you can like take it off. Yeah. Probably there's a mechanic watching right now, like saying bullshit. You can't do that. But that's what I used to do. And then this one time, I didn't wait long enough. I don't know how my head was situated like here, like I'm that dumb. The frontal lobe had not developed yet. And so I went like, I turned it, and then it was just blew it out of my hand and all over my head. And so I got like third degree burns like over all my face here. And again, that probably helped out on this deal because like they say, if you like burn off a layer of skin, it's kind of good for a scar. Yeah, right. So that was the benefit is I think I got like a second layer of, um, yeah. of plastic surgery on my forehead when I had to like, I basically lost a whole layer oh, of skin. That's too funny. You talked to my wife here? It's not like no, you talked no, to my no, wife. No, yeah, <laughs> and the last question is, you haven't guessed it yet. Okay. Um, why did the Johnsons like paddling so much? Why did the Johnsons like paddling so much? Uh, like paddle boarding? Oh, or paddling like um, canoe paddling? paddling in general. Uh, and then you can guess who asked these questions. You guys like to paddle, obviously. Well, my older brother Petey likes to paddle board. Like he used to win all the races, okay. um, doing like you know, Waimea Sunset. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Sunset to Waimea, yeah. Fourth of July. Like the paddleboard race used to be really fun. They didn't have like the professional paddle boards back then. It was just like you'd try to find your dad's gun or somebody's gun from under the house, like the longest board you could get, and everybody would go and you'd try to race doing the paddleboard. My brother would always win. We could never catch him. Uh, mm -hmm. Petey would always win, and then. Paddling canoe, we like paddling canoe a lot. We used to go every summer. My dad and I would go on a, a trip. We'd sail from like Maui over to Molokai and we'd do like a trip camping oh, wow. around Molokai for a couple of weeks. Uh, we went around a lot of the islands camping, oh. doing by paddling with old traditional wow. uh, sailing canoe. So, so I'm not sure, but like yeah, we do like to paddle. Yeah. And who do you think the least questions? I mean, it, it sounds like it could be a number of friends. I don't know, yeah. Kelly? Is it not? Not Kelly. I'll give you three guesses. Okay, uh, and then I'm gonna guess Mike Spalding. Nope. One last guess. Uh, Paul Hatter. No, Benji would Oh, okay, yeah, of course Benji <laughs> would know all that. Yeah. Well, so Benji, so now I can answer that. So okay. Benji's gonna say we like paddling because we're super competitive. Yeah. And that would be his reason because yeah. yeah, I was pretty close to Benji growing up, still are. But um, yeah, he would always, he, he thought of us as being pretty competitive. Yeah. He wasn't real competitive growing up. Yeah, so Jack, have you got a funny fan moment that someone's... Like back towards me? me back towards me you. A fan? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, a fan to you. For some reason, it pops in my mind. It's like, um, it must have been the weirdest experience for like most of my fans. For every fan who was there that night. I had this one show where I showed up and um, I had food poisoning. I'd been throwing up like all afternoon. And I'd get about 45 minutes, you know how food poisoning is. And then it would come back. Wow, and then I would be like, okay, I feel 100% now. I think I'm good, and then 45 minutes later, blah. Ah. And then so I was like, just kept waiting for it to be over, and I was thinking that must have been the last one, like backstage, I got one out, and then I was like, okay, on the stage. 
It was at this place called the Mercury Lounge, I think it was called in New York, and it was mm. snowing outside, wow. and it was full. It was like the first time I'd sold out a club in New York. And so I didn't want to cancel the gig, because I was like, this might all go away, like if yeah. I don't take advantage, and mm. like, all these people came out for me. It's like early days. So I went out, and, um, and I was feeling good, and I was playing the songs, and I was going, and my brothers happened to be at that show. Both my brothers were there, and like a bunch of friends had flown out, because um, we were opening for Ben Harper still on that run, and we did a show. So they all came out to see Ben, not me, but then I had a <laughs> night off, and we did a, our own show. Mm. So they all came to that, too, a bunch of friends. And I'm playing, and then I remember I started to feel a little queasy and thinking, okay, this is like starting to come. Shoot, I'll just make it through this song. I'll go throw up in the back, and I'll come back out. That was like my plan in my head. And I'm just starting to feel like halfway through the song, like, oh, no, it's coming, it's coming. And I was like, then I opened my eyes and I was like really far from my microphone and everybody's kind of looking at me funny. Like I realized that I was so out of it and thinking about barfing that I was like not even singing in the mic. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, no, it's going to happen. And I looked over and I saw my brother, Petey, and he, he knew I was sick. And so he happened, he had a beanie on and like he just like, we get the brotherly connection where he just knew what I needed and he like grabbed his beanie and threw it at me. And I just like stopped playing the song in the middle of the song and I caught the beanie and then just like, like threw up in the beanie and turn around and like this, like I remember still like the sound of the whole audience going like, oh, like, and I just started barfing in the beanie and tried to turn around, but it was this little stage where there wasn't like anything to hide behind. So I just kind of walked over in a corner and just sort of kept barfing for a while in this, you know, like a beanie's only gonna hold bar for so long. It was just like coming through oh, and it's like, no, this, it was horrible. And I kind of just like put it down. Yeah. And then came back over. It was yeah. like, all right, it's just food poisoning. I feel good again, yeah. you know. And I kept playing, and that was it. But like, <laughs> just I, I think that was probably pretty awkward for a lot of fans. fans. I probably lost a lot of fans that night. <laughs> I thought you said, and the fan actually grabbed it and took it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. The, the rabbit, <laughs> no, no. The rabbit story. The rabbit you already gave that. He's one. not really a fan. I'm a fan of his. Yeah, uh, but um, I got he's tackled. A fan of you. I got tackled by one other yeah. girl early days too. Oh, you one did. Time. Where I wasn't looking, and all of a sudden I just go, poof, she, she like hit me from the side. <laughs> a couple of those ones. Oh, Jack, thank you so much. This has been so good. Have you got any questions maybe for me? Yeah, for sure. I, so I'm curious because like mm. in the same way that, um, that you inspired us so much, like our whole generation, like that time with you and Curran, uh, like I know what I was feeling when I was surfing, but like a lot of times when I see surfers these days, I sometimes feel like it's such a pop culture now, you know? It went from being kind of this counterculture to a subculture to a pop culture mm -hmm. that I feel like so many surfers are so programmed now with like where their arms go. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it doesn't feel like there's, a lot of times somebody comes along who feels like a whole different thing where they're f using their momentum in a whole different way and their weight. Um, and that still happens. But like with you guys, when I look, there's like, you weren't surfing like anybody else. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So. Like, when I would see you surf, it was so inspiring because it was, we didn't have any other blueprint besides a couple people that we were basing our whole thing off. And it just seemed so far away from what you were doing compared to what the guys before you guys were doing. So mm. I'm just curious, what was inspiring you? Like, was it, was it just other surfers or like, with boards changing so quickly at the time, like fin placement and board design? Mm. What were some of your inspirations and kind of just like, what was going through your mind uh, at the time, like, you know, yeah. the serpent changing so much. Yeah, well, it was funny, Jack, because when I first, um, when I was probably 10 to 13, I did get knocked a little bit on my style. Um, that I was a bit too, like, I don't know, a bit too kind of forced. Not forced, no, not forced is the wrong word, but my hands weren't kind of right. And mm -hmm. 
I'm actually lucky because I've got that low center of gravity where I should be able to just have a natural style. But my, I don't know if it was true, but I didn't, I didn't work on it at all. I just went that super weird that people would say that I got a weird style. I mean, I grew up in Cronulla on a beach break where, um, where it's hard to really work on your style because the waves right. are so short. Fast, yeah. yeah. Quick. But then Gordon Merchant, the founder of Billabong, got me to go to the points at Burley mm -hmm. and Snapper and um, Kira. And that's probably where it all mellowed out for me because I never really thought about them that much, but it's all, all the hands are nothing. And like, it's always just leave them low because when you're halfway through a move, your hands are going to do something. Yeah. But because a lot, maybe the taller surfers might have to use their hands more because they're up higher. Mm -hmm. So it was always for me, just don't even worry about your arms, just leave them low right. and everything will come naturally right. after that. Yeah. But what so, about like, as far as like the turns, you know, like before that time, like just like pushing the limit on turns and stuff. I mean, were you doing things that were, you were thinking like, whoa, I'm feeling something that I've never even seen somebody else no, do? No, I didn't. Or no, did I feel like that? No, I didn't feel like that. I mean, I was always a power-based surfer and those turns felt those turns felt great. Yeah. And then the airs, like you said, like in Blazing Boards, I'd done that kind of fluky air, but yeah. Almost but, an accident, sounds like, more, yeah. well, in the sense of like, just from pushing it so hard, like your, both your style, which became like a style that people were basing their whole thing on. Mm. And then same thing with like airs becoming like the beginning of a whole yeah. next step in surfing. But it was almost accidental from just like pushing so hard yeah. that it just like became that next thing people yeah. needed to see to even like make a light bulb go Yeah, for sure. For me, it was always just be so, you had to be super relaxed and just not think like don't have any, yeah, it's just all really. But who were the, were there any blueprints for you? Like, was there certain surfers that you no, were trying yeah. to surf like or that you liked nah. their surfing more than others, I mean? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, like, to me, I always looked up to, like, Tom Carroll and MR and Jim Banks, especially, mm -hmm. who was a guy from Cronulla yeah. that surfed big waves. And, and um, you probably met him. Yeah. Yeah, know. you know yeah. Jim. Classic. And so, yeah, so I kind of prided myself on Jim. Jim had a great style and just the way he used to charge big waves mm -hmm. was incredible and always out there by himself. Yeah. And um, I used to, you know, I never probably got to surf as big waves as him because I'm not, I'm kind of scared of big waves, but um, especially now I'm a bit older. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it was always just nonchalant. Just don't think of anything when you take off. Just put your hands down, your arms down and just let it all happen. Yeah. That's interesting. It's funny because remember when John John first started mm -hmm. surfing, everybody's giving him, tr like not trouble, but like if anything would get critiqued, it was like that his arms were down. Too low? Yeah, like early on, like mm. on his bottom turns and stuff, he, he yeah. had a, like arms down kind of and thing. And he was probably thinking, just keep your arms yeah, down. I wonder, yeah, I know. Oh, I'm gonna ask now it's like, I see him. I remember like when he first started being on tour, like people having, well, he's, it's just like his style, whatever, you need to change this one, th like his arms are too low. But now it's like funny because you see a whole next generation of kids like taking off on a wave and I feel like I see them all do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. everybody basing their kind of thing on that. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Because, like, just leave them down, hey, is a really good tip. And then they'll do what they'll do. Right. But if you think about your hands and you use, and thinking about your arms, you're using them too much. Yeah, yeah. right. Good point. Yeah, so uh, Kelly's story, Jack. Yeah, I don't got so much a Kelly's story as I do just like a general thought about him. Okay. Um, is that I feel like he gets overly labeled as ultra competitive. Yeah. He is about as competitive as a guy as I know. Mm. I will say that like mm -hmm. if you're playing bocce ball, mm -hmm. ping pong, uh, whatever it might be, you know, like he wants to win. And, but we all kind of are like that. Like growing up, I see a lot of times like now people talking about might be in this or that film that he was so much more competitive than everybody. But I don't think that's really true. Like really? I think that 
that a whole generation, everybody was pretty competitive, but like everybody wants to find one reason why he won 11 world titles, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, what is it? Yeah. But I think it really is his creativity and his ability to just always have fun surfing. Because I can't think of somebody when we were kids more than when it was pouring rain and the water was brown and there was no cameras around. Because no people back then, then, you know, nobody had somebody following you filming all the time. It was yeah. like, you would show up and surf at the beach and then there might be camera guys there too. Like, this is pre kind of having your own camera guy. But when there would be no cameras around and just the ugliest looking surf, he would always find something that would be like, oh, look at that little closeout barrel over there. Like every 10th one is like, you can make it, let's go surf that. Or like some weird second reef day that was like, not scary big, but just like, oh, it looks like a fun ride outside Pupake or something that we can go get. And he just always wanted to surf, like more than anybody I knew. You know what I mean? Like that's my memory of Kelly growing up. It's just, he always wanted to be in the ocean and he always wanted to go out there and do something. And just wow. was like really creative, mm -hmm. uh, like how he saw surfing too. It's like the, his approach to waves, kind of in that same oh thing we're talking about where he just would see lines that I had never dreamed of or like seen somebody else do. All of a sudden he'd be doing something so it was like he was using it as a canvas to create something mm. nobody had ever created before. That's how he got so good. I think so, and, yeah. and almost like mathematical in some weird reason. Yeah, Like totally. some weird way. Yeah. He's just a freak. He is. So can I request a song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> play, no, you. just play something new for me then. So yeah. everyone can hear that. Something new cool. yeah, would yeah. be great. Awesome. Perfect. Are we going to jam one though? We going to do one well, together? Well, after that, just after play that, something okay. new. Yeah, just cool. something new, and we yeah, can... I can even talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah and talk cool. about yeah, it. Cool. Perfect. Yeah, this is one actually I wrote. Uh, Kelly invited me on the surf trip last well, two years ago or a year ago, um, and we went down and scored this wave that he had been kind of keeping his eye on that only gets like the right wind every once in a while, and it was like one of those lucky strike missions that he gets to do all the time. That I'm usually sometimes he'll give me the invite, but it's like, I can't just go somewhere tomorrow. And I happened to have like this little window where I could go and I was like, I gotta take up Kelly on one of these trips. So I went and we scored, we got this craziest waves of our lives. And um, anyways, I started writing this riff. I had a little um, ukulele, one of those ones with me on the okay. trip. And I started writing this riff on the trip that was, uh, that was a basic thing. But then on the ukulele, it's a little high. Okay. It's a different tuning, you know, so it was too high for me to sing, so I kind of kept on the trip singing this thing over and over. And then when I got home, it was kind of that thing we were talking about before where it's just like the melody was so, it was the only thing I've been surfing to. Like surfing to. It had yeah. marinated in my mind yeah. so much from just like. I've got to make a song out of this. So it was like, it was like walk around, or like <laughs> any thought I would have would just go into the melody of this song. Mm. And so I started writing these lyrics, and um, yeah, so here's a little bit of it okay. for you. Yeah, so No, I seen your face somewhere Selling something, some big idea I know I seen that vacant stare Selling sunsets for somebody else You find yourself asking yourself What is any of it worth? You find yourself looking up at night from the bottom of the earth But oh, can this world not afford to sleep anymore? And oh, did your sheep stop jumping? They grow out their teeth 
They need a little something more Than this The taste of trouble on your lips Cause now they're biting at your thoughts You tell yourself just to turn away But you know you've already lost The smell of rain when it's on the wind can never be paid in full You try in vain to account for this mess And everything that you stole But oh, can this world not afford to sleep anymore? And oh, did your sheep stop jumping to grow out the teeth? I need a little something now Every time you think, well, they'll be biting at your thoughts And every time you blink, well, you'll be sold and bought But you are more than this I know I've seen your face somewhere yeah. That was, awesome. that was right epic. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, that was gold. That was written on a surf trip. A lot of them yeah. on the first record were written from yeah. surf trips, you yeah. know, just being on the boats and wow. messing around with the guitars. Good so time. good. Well, we're going to jam, Rocky. Come on. Well, I'm nervous. That was enough. Nah. nah. Come on. You got to do something. Like, you got to do something. What about like uh, any Bob Marley yeah. song? Do you know? You know, uh, how about like. What is it? Let me see if I can figure it out. Boom. Steal it up. Okay. You know? Yep. <coughs> this is an idea. Little darling, steer it up. Come on, baby. Little darling, it's been a long, long time. You take it. Since I got you on my mind. Ooh. Ooh. Now that you are here, I say it's okay to see what we can do, honey. Just me and you, come on and steer it up. Come on, baby, little darling, steer it up. Come on, baby, little darling, steer it up. Little darling, steer it up. You know the second verse? I think so. I'll push the wood. I'll push the wood. Thanks, so. sir. I don't know that one. He's in. <laughs> Into your fire. I'll take this verse. Okay. I will satisfy your, your heart's desire. Come on and cool me down, baby. When I'm hot, yeah. Your recipe, darling, it's so tasty. Come on and steer it up. Little darling, steer it up. Oh, baby. Come on and steer it up. Little darling. 
Come on, baby. You got another verse? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> All this time, I was so nervous no, then. I like, could hear it in my voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Jack, it's been so good. Yeah, Thanks man. for being on the Upcast. I yeah. really appreciate it. So fun. And good luck with everything you're yeah, doing. Likewise. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Hey guys, that's another Upcast. Oh